type of Bible that you can see right through it. Isn't <laughs> great? Welcome to green screen technology. So, well, we have to go old school today. The uh, uh, the TV died. Oh, so uh, you're going to have to use what's called a Bible <laughs> and put, that you actually put in your hands. So they're all along the side there. Uh, go to Matthew chapter 25. So yeah, uh, board got some good news for you. I got a request this Wednesday for you for a new TV. So the, the good news is is that I already looked it up and there's a, a Black Friday sales coming. So I think we can go a week or two without it. Okay, so um, we've been talking about, I only gave you half the sermon last week. I really wanted you to understand uh, what the Jewish wedding was like. Because you have to understand it to uh, get an idea of what was happening in the weddings and things like that that Jesus was talking about. Because... Because uh, we don't do weddings the same way. I mean, it, with uh, uh, receptions and everything else that we do, uh, now, now you have to book uh, the reception halls years, two years in advance in order to have one. Uh, the average cost of a wedding, I believe, was uh, $26,000. I mean, whoa, that's a car. Used car now. But that's a car. Um, <clears throat> and, and it's just different than what we do. Uh, the Jewish wedding just took longer. It was like a year-long event. Uh, once you uh, uh, said you would marry him, you were married. And the only way you could separate from him is to go through a divorce, even though you weren't living together. So it's just a lot different than what it used to be. Okay, so that's why I shared with you, because I wanted you to understand it last week. Um, then I shared with you the strangest wedding I ever did. And as I said, it was uh, in a nursing home next to a, a grandma. Uh, she, uh, the, the couple wanted to be married in front of grandma so uh, because she was dying. And I ended up doing the wedding and she stopped breathing on me. You know, all that other stuff that was happening. Now for the second strangest wedding I ever did. So there's a man named Darwin and Pop. No, just kidding. Um, um, so I was in the ministry, probably my first or second year into the ministry. And my father-in-law was uh, in the ministry too. And my father-in-law uh, pastored the church next to us, about six miles away. So one day I received a phone call from him. And he had a real gruff voice. You know, Darwin, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to treat Polly right with that type of voice of a follower. You know that, Darwin? He goes, Darwin, uh, I'm in the hospital right now. Uh, I have gallbladder surgery coming, and I'm doing a wedding. I said, okay, uh, you're going to do it for me. And I said, when is it? Tomorrow. <laughs> oh, great. All right, well, okay. I said, so who is it and where is it? He said, it's going to be in Wauseon, about 20 miles away from his church, and it's going to be an outdoor wedding. Here the here the young girls are. Do not have an outdoor wedding. You hear me? Anybody have an outdoor wedding? Oh, thanks, I got you over there. Do not have an outdoor wedding. And so, um, because you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you're going to uh, the weather, the wind, you name it. And sure enough. Give me back to my, my problem, my boy. Now, um, it's supposed to rain tomorrow, 
And so if it rains, uh, I got somebody lined up at the church that you can have it in the church. And so, all right, all right, all right. So we go all the way to Washington to the park, and guess what it's doing? It's raining. All right, so let's head back. Now remember, I didn't put this part. Polly's eight months pregnant. Got and, and how many of you seen pictures of Polly pregnant? Okay. She goes straight out. She doesn't go this way. She went straight out. So literally, and I'm not exaggerating, her, she put her food on her stomach. <laughs> okay. And the baby kept kicking it off. I mean, that's what it was. So we get there. It's raining. Okay. So we go back to Alberton, Ohio, and somebody unlocks the church for us. And I look at I look at the groom and I said, well, we need to wait a little bit before you get married so people can show up. And he goes, okay, we can make five minutes. I said, no, 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 we need to wait, wait longer than that. In the meantime, we find out that the, the bride's dress is not hemmed. And so uh, so uh, the bride's maids, none of them knew how to do that. So guess who's on her knees hemming a dress? Me. No, I'm just so Polly's on her knees, eight months pregnant. She's hemming this dress. He's, uh, the groom is pacing back and forth outside because all of a sudden it wasn't raining there. Going back and forth. And uh, finally came time to do the wedding. Well, they didn't have a pianist or anything, so guess who played the piano? Polly. Polly. Okay, so, um, so we're, she's coming down the aisle, tears in her eyes. He's over here saying, finally I'm getting married. And, uh, and I do the whole ceremony. Dearly beloved, I, I don't even remember the name, so to be honest with you. Dearly beloved, we gather here. And uh, we, we got ready to pronounce a man and a wife. And they go, hey! I go, what? We got some special music. So remember those big old boom boxes? Mm -hmm. They pick it up, put it on the piano, and I'm not kidding you, ACDC's coming out of that thing. <laughs> Okay, so all of you that I've done weddings for you, that's why I always approve the songs. Because you never know what you're going to get. So ACDC, and they're crying to the ACDC, oh, we love you so much, and all this is going on. Right then, Father stands up, uh, Father and Groom stands up, comes walking down the aisle, and he goes, hey, turn around, I'm going to take your picture. And he had one of these Polaroid Instamatic cameras. So, you know, the oh, it was so romantic. And they're turning around, smiling, the pictures of ACDC playing, and all this is, uh, Polaroid Instamatic camera is going off, and the whole thing. We got done, and I said, get me out of here, you know. And so, so I got, we got done. Uh, I don't know, um, I really can't say for sure if, if what happened to the marriage, okay. But I do know about Six months or a year ago, Polly comes up and says, some lady just contacted me on Facebook, and she, um, remember that wedding we did when I was pregnant? Yeah. She found me, and she wanted to know if Burley was my father still alive and everything else. So, uh, so you know, crawl still fat. But anyway, that's the second strangest wedding that, that ever happened. I'm sure there'll be more. I tell brides when I do, and grooms when I do their weddings, I said, the rules for the wedding are on my computer, and the reason why they're on their computer is because I always have to change them afterwards because somebody is always going to do something. I mean, in, in, the, in the rules it says there will be no one drunk. Why do you think I said that? There will be no drugs in the church. Why do you think I said that? 
There will be no alcohol brought into the church. Why do you think I said that? You know, it just goes on and on and on what people will try to get away from and get away with. So Jesus gives a story. And if you remember this, uh, what was leading up to this, the disciples went up to Jesus and said, show us or tell us what the end times are going to be like when you return. And so uh, Jesus gave, the, gave what to look for, the birthing pains, if you remember. Uh, the birthing pains that are leading up to it. We kind of, if you look at uh, uh, the graphs of the wars that are happening in the world, they're becoming more and more frequent, more and more wars that are happening. Um, if you uh, look at the famines and earthquakes and everything else, we're seeing more of that's happening. So those are birth pains. It, those are only signs of me coming. And the reason why, and the thing you have to keep in mind is, they're going to become more and more intense and more and more frequent. Then two weeks ago we preached, and I said, now this is, the, this is the keystone verse. It says, when you see the abomination that leads to desolation that uh, gets into the temple, uh, sets his feet up in the temple, then, says, then you better take notice of it. And which we know that has not happened yet. Um, be, uh, be interesting to see how that happens, uh, but we do know it's going to happen. Then Jesus goes into Matthew 25, and in it he's sharing uh, some parables now, some parables that relate to it. One is the uh, parable of the ten virgins, which we talked about, and another one is Matthew 25, the separation of the sheep and the goats, which is a very powerful par parable. But the parables are basically stories that have a, a lesson associated with them. Um, you know, Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall is a parable. Um, um, Cinderella is kind of a fable type of parable. Um, there's always a reason behind it. You know, the uh, Red Riding Hood and, and the Big Bad Wolf, that's a parable. You know, don't go walking in the, in the, in the woods with a wolf. I mean, it's just, it was a bar basically parables. So he shares a parable, and I only was able to get to part of it this week last week, but it was a parable of the ten virgins. And this parable is focusing on one important issue. No one knows the, take, the, the day nor the hour when the Son of Man is going to come, but be ready. Because you don't know when you're going to see Jesus. Every one of us is going to see Jesus, but you don't know when. And you need to be prepared, and you need to live your life as if you're going to see him today. Here's the question. If you knew that today you were going to see Jesus, what would you change in your life? What would you change in your life? And that's exactly how you should be living every day of your life anyway. Because no one knows the day nor the hour. I remember uh, Jim Brown. Jim Brown was a 45-year-old man from my first church. A godly man. He's the type of guy I like. He tells me what he thinks. And if we disagree, he goes, okay, we disagree. But this is how I think. I like those guys. He's not, I don't have to worry about what he thinks. I don't have to worry about him being mad at me. He's not mad at me. He just says, I disagree with you. And uh, But Jim was the type of guy that had a chew pouch right here. He chewed tobacco. So much so that he always had this pouch. And he, uh, he came up to me and said, when the Lord tells me to give up my chew, I'll give up my chew. And I'm going, that's disgusting. Have it. Anyway, I hope you give up your chew. Well, one day he shows up, no more yellow teeth. He goes, the Lord told me to give up my chew, so I gave up my chew. But he still had that pouch. He always had that pouch. One day I was listening to the scanner, and West Union EMS had to go to uh, uh, 
the turnpike, the Kunkel Turnpike Maintenance Barn for a man that was in full arrest, 45-year-old man in full arrest, I knew exactly who it was. I actually beat the EMS to the hospital. He did not know the day nor the hour. I'm convinced he's in the presence of Jesus, but he did not know the day nor the hour. So here's what Jesus says. And we've already talked about some of these, so we're going to go through the, some of these slides pretty quick. Chapter 25, verse 1. At the time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. I explained what the wedding's like back then. Five of them were foolish. The Greek word for foolish is actually morose. Did you turn this off? Yep. It's actually uh, morose. Let me get through these. We already went through those. Uh, and and uh, is morose, and the uh, Greek word for prudent is promodios. And so there were ten bridegrooms, five were promodios, and five were morose. Morose is the word you get moron from, you get the word stupid from that word, okay? Uh, so uh, five of them were prudent, have to do with brain thoughtfulness and prudent and wise, and, and half of them were morose, were not wise. Okay, um, uh, five were morose, and uh, where we get the word moron from, which we already said. Verse 3, the foolish ones took their lamps, or the morose ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. But really, it is, did not take any extra oil with them, because we see that they used their lamps. They used their lamps, so they had oil with them, but really it is extra oil. The wise one, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. So I'm just imagining this party. Okay, he said, I got the word that we're going to have the party, that we're going to get married, and all the bridesmaids come together, and they have their party in the house that they're living in, or she's living in, and they're just talking and talking and talking. I've never been to a bride party, but talking and talking and talking, and, and then finally they start falling asleep, and they finally fall asleep. Did that happen to any of you? No. It was funny, I'm talking to some of you here, going, oh, we got married before. Yeah, a number of you did that. Uh, and so, uh, but that's what happened with my daughter. I, we had calm them down, both of them calm them down. It's all going to be right. It's all going to be okay. At midnight, verse 6, a cry rang out. Here comes the bridegroom. They didn't have cell phones back then. So when is he going to come? I don't know. Something might have delayed him. So, you know, they, they couldn't call ahead and say, by the way, get ready. So the call comes out. If you remember, the, the, the bridal procession is at night. Uh, the bridegroom, the, the call comes out, probably blowing the shofar or the trumpet. They wake up, verse 7, all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. And most likely they had the lamps that were burning that night, so they used up the oil. The foolish one said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going to go out. And last week, we, I, I, I surmised that this was the issue. The, the foolish ones did just enough. They just did what was necessary and nothing more. And anyone who is involved with any type of uh, business knows that when you, you look for the employees that go above and beyond. 
And, and so they just brought just enough. Let's, let's imagine that you're going to go to Florida. And, you, and you're on in your Florida, and you, you put it in your computer, I'm going to go to Florida, I get 25 miles to the gallon. So 1,000 miles, I need 40 gallons of gas to get to Florida. And that's all you put in your car is 40 gallons. Now, is that smart or foolish? Why is it foolish? Because you, there's a lot of factors that come into play that you don't know about. How many of you would get on an airplane the same way? It says it takes uh, 1,000 pounds of fuel to go to Los Angeles. And, and, you're, and that's all we're going to put in here is 1,000 pounds of fuel. Would you get on that airplane? No way. And, and that's what I imagine these, these bridesmaids said, okay, I need this much oil, no more. And, uh, and, and they forgot about the fact that they were going to talk. They forgot about the fact that we could throw out all these things. The bridegroom was late and everything else. And so it came time for the bridegroom to come and they did not have enough oil. They went to the wise ones and said, give us your oil. They said, we don't have enough for us and you as well. So therefore, sorry, you're out of luck. By the way, go buy some. So they went to buy some. They went to the local Walmart. Uh, they didn't have 24-hour stores back then, so you probably had to wait till the next morning for somebody to wake up to go buy the fuel, or buy the oil. So they buy the oil, they come back. Verse 10, while they were away to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Uh, I did a lot of stuff, trying to figure out why did they shut the door. I... I and there's really nothing to it. It's just, that's the story. Later the others came, the ones who had to go buy it, and said, Lord, Lord, said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I do not know you. I'm only surmising here. They were probably, take that ruined my wedding that way, you know. You always got that one bridesmaid or groomsman that does that, you know that? But every wedding you've got that one. I did a wedding here, um, one of my first weddings here, and, and one of the kids worked at Springer's, and he didn't show up for the reception, for the rehearsal, and didn't show up, didn't show up, didn't show up. Finally, they walked, oh, he's mowing the lawn, went out and grabbed him, he'd come walking in that side door there. I, I'll never forget that. But Jesus says in verse 13, he says, therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. So there's a lot of symbolism here, a lot of issues. Uh, the the uh, promosius uh, bridesmaids were were, were com commended for being prudent. Jesus condemns the morose bridesmaid for just getting by, just what I have to do. So the symbolisms of this: the virgins are the Christians, and those who think that they're Christians. Uh, I, I can't say it in any nicer way, but there are those who think they're Christians that are not. The bridegroom is Christ, the bride is the church for you. The oil symbolizes the Holy Spirit. The wedding procession is the second coming. The door is the door to heaven. Okay? The point of the parable is very simply this. Be ready. No one knows the day nor the hour that you're going to meet God. I'm glad. Aren't you? Could you imagine 
if when I was born, they put a little sticker on me and said, Darwin's going to live till November 6, 2013. Do you know what I would be doing today? You would have been dead for 10 years if it's 2013. Yeah. That's right. 2023. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I hired Ben, I tell you. So 2023, could you imagine that? Can you imagine what I'd be doing today? I'd be looking at my clock, I'd be looking at my watch, I'd be looking at the clock and everything else, I'd be oh, da, 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 But the thing that we do know is that someday will come when we will stand before Almighty God. Every one of us will. That's just the way it is. Even if it's 2013. <laughs> so the lessons of this is of, of the story is, is very simply this. Live each day as if you're going to see Jesus that day. Not, you know, there's a thing going around. Live each day as if it's your last. Live each day to the fullest. In some respects, they're right. But live this day as if you're going to see Jesus this day. What would you do different if you knew you were going to see Jesus today? What would you do different? And then my statement is very simply this. Do it. Do it. Oh, I'd be praying. I'd be on my knees. Then why aren't you? I'd be telling my family, then why aren't you? I'd be reading all the Bible. Why aren't you? You're just doing enough to get by. Live each day as if you're going to see Jesus today. Because there, there will, this will come true. Number two is, Jesus is delayed in coming. According to our thinking. Why is that? Alright, you know next week we're going to start talking about Christmas here. I'm waiting for somebody to say that. Who all works at Walmart? Your, your, your Christmas trees are already out, right? It's Christmas time already, so we might as well. Let's join it. No, actually what we're going to do is we're going to start a new program for Advent here in the church. I'll explain more next week, but it's actually going to get kicked off next week. And I'm going to have the basic, the basic sermon for it. And so, uh, but anyway, we're going to start, we're actually going to start talking about, uh, talking about it. Um, but one of my favorite scripture passages when it relates to Christmas is Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7. I love it. Because I heard the sermon by Charles Swindoll and he preached out of this. And it was like, wow. And what Charles Swindoll did is he brought everything together, everything together that had to be done just perfectly for, the, for Jesus to come the first time. How the Greeks had to come in and, and produce the Greek, uh, the, the Greek language. How the Romans came in and did the postal system and the and the uh, road system, and all this kept going on. It was just amazing to, to see all this. But this is a scripture passage. It says, When the fullness of time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. I love that. Because that says, In God's wisdom, He waited to the perfect time for the Son of Man to come. And that's the same thing. We are not going to totally understand it until after he comes. And we're going to sit here and go, wow, that makes sense. The next one is 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. And I'm thankful for this one. And you better be thankful for it too. Okay? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I'm thankful. You know why? Because he waited. He waited. And now I 
be a Christian. He waited so that you could be a Christian. He waited so that you could come to the saving knowledge. Aren't you thankful? Because if he didn't wait, I was going to say, and then you wouldn't know me, but you know what I mean. We wouldn't be together as the church. There wouldn't be a Mount Tabor. There wouldn't be a Darwin. There wouldn't wouldn't be a Darwin that knows Jesus. And then we have the body of Christ that comes together. Anyway, I couldn't, couldn't joke with Nick about him being the TV bouncer. You know that? I got Nick today. I said, we're going to get Nick after it's going to be the TV bouncer. And, yeah, because that TV broke. He said, you're in charge. He didn't break the building. You know, you're the man. You're the man. You're the man. You know, we could, we could joke about that. and Because that, that is what Christians do. is They just love each other. And we're a family. Next one says, No one knows the day or the hour, but it will happen. 230 notable predictions of Christ's return have happened since the um, since Jesus uh, ascended into heaven. You know that? 200, throughout history, 230 times. Every one of them has been wrong. I go back to say this. Therefore keep watch because you do not know the day nor the hour. What is it about that verse we as a church do not understand? Because we continually predict Christ coming back, and we predict continually get upset about stuff or get anxious about stuff, and Jesus himself says no one knows the day nor the hour, and yet what do we do? We constantly predict. 1000 AD, after the millennium, first millennium, uh, they predicted that Christ was coming back. He didn't come back. People left their jobs. They abandoned their homes. They disposed of their belongings. <laughs> he didn't come back. So they said, well, we were wrong. It's 33, uh, 1033, because that's when Jesus ascended into heaven. Of course, he didn't come. May 19, 1780, a heavy gloom fell over New England, promptly, prompting a religious group known as the Shakers. Anybody ever hear about them? The Shakers that believe that the judgment day has come. You know what caused the heavy gloom and fog? Wildfires from Canada. Actually, it was wildfires. I don't know where it came from, but it was wildfires. And that came down with the fog. Did we not experience that this this summer? Jesus is coming back. They said it was a celestial message. William Miller took thousands of followers or Millerites when he declared that the world would come to an end on March 21st, 1843. Of course, it didn't happen. 1876, a man named Charles Taze Russell predicted that Jesus would return in 1914. His group is called the Jehovah's Witnesses. Of course, that didn't happen. Let's not forget us people my age of Y2K, the year 2000. And by the way, there are a number of pastors I don't listen to anymore because of that. Because the Bible comes right out in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 22 and says, 
What if a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord, and so these pastors were predicting and prophesying that this is going to happen. What if a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true? That is a message the Lord has not spoken. That the prophet has spoken presumptuously, do not be alarmed. So Y2K, Harold Camping, if you remember Harold Camping, uh, you're saying, well, who's Harold Camping? If you drove up and down I-75 in 2011, there were billboards all over I-75 saying Jesus is coming back at this certain date, if you remember those billboards. The Mayan calendar of 2012 was another one that people were getting upset over. How about 2025, 2029, 2057, 2060 are all dates that has predicted when Jesus is coming back. I can guarantee one thing. Jesus ain't going to come back those days. Why? Because no one knows the day or the hour that the Son of Man is going to return. Now the neat part is it's going to return. He, he will return. Uh, was it two weeks ago that I played the shofar? I hope that put goose pimples all over you. To hear the sound that I think is what we're going to hear. The victory call of the shofar. And I believe that that's what we're going to hear. It's going to happen. What an exciting day that's going to be when we, when we see Jesus, the one that we've been serving our entire life, that comes down, uh, comes and, and gathers his own. Number four. And the last lesson is this. Once it's done, it's done. The finality of it all. Um, Once you stand before Jesus, the record has already been sealed. Uh, there are no second chances. And um, that's what the scripture is very specific about that. I believe that there's going to be a lot of people in hell that are going to believe in Jesus. And I believe there's going to be a lot of people in hell that are going to be worshiping Jesus, trying to get a second chance. But it ain't going to happen. It's done. It says that the Lord didn't, the owner of the home did not allow them in. So during this period of birth pains that we're in, the question is, are you prudent or morose? Prudent is living each day as if Jesus is coming back today. Morose is, I'm just getting enough to get by. Or we just want enough of God to get by. Wilbur Reese wrote these words, and I'm closing on these just to think about it. And this was written... Probably, probably 50, 60 years ago, so you'll understand that when I read this to you. He says, I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me love a black man. Or pick beets with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want warmth of the womb, but not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Just enough. Just enough. I think that's what Jesus is talking about in this parable. There's so much more. So much more. Not just enough. Let's pray. Father, I just pray for each person that are here, and uh, I pray for anyone that might need you today, that today would be the day of salvation. 
that today is the day in which they say, you know, I've just been playing a game, but I don't want to play a game no more. I want to be 100% for you. So help us, O Lord. May we follow you in every area. And above all, may we live with anticipation the day that we hear the trumpet sound and we see the dead in Christ rise. What a great day that will be. In Jesus' name we pray. You'll stand with us. We're going to close with the song we sang earlier, Yes, I Believe. If you'd like to have prayer, the altar is open, and the elders will be here to pray with you.
person. And we live a week as if uh, uh, Jesus is returning and that we're going to see him this day. May we live a life that's just more than just enough. May we live the life that's in the fullness of you. We honor and praise you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, blessings on you and have a wonderful and great week. Oh, <laughs>